Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Feeling like you need some inspiration? Well, check out From Foster Kid to Millionaire to Songwriter by Robert Dennis. But first, Robert, tell us where you live, because that's a story in itself. I live in uh, no man's land in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Nice. I live in Mount Juliet, but my address is Hermitage. I get my mail from Hermitage. My telephone number is 11 and phone number. Mm. I get my electricity from Murfreesboro. I get my water <laughs> from Gladeville. And I get my television from Nashville. <laughs> if you can figure out where all them come together, you've got me pinned down. Wow. I've had three different addresses since I've lived in this house. How long have you lived there? 48 years. Long time. What did you do for a living? I worked in the food industry. Okay. We're a wholesale distributor to restaurants and food service organizations. At my highest point, I was vice president for marketing and purchasing of all the products that we handle. And that gave me opportunity to travel, plus my military, to about 40 different states and eight other foreign countries. Good for you. So I've been around a little now I'm an old man. They used to call me that boy from Mount Juliet when I worked. Now they'd have to call me the old man from Mount Juliet. <laughs> you know, you've had a pretty interesting life. Yes. What made you want to write this book now? What made me want to write this book? It was my life and the life of other foster kids that I knew. Foster kids are looked down upon as sort of worthless and throwaway kids. They're not treated exactly as the same as normal kids that they live with. And a lot of them are sort of pre-made, uh, pre-made uh, hard help, unpaid hard help. So I thought by writing my story, which I have been unusually blessed for in life, and have made a way in the world like other guys would give them inspiration and determination to to exceed what the society thinks about them. I, I just find it interesting that you turn 18 and they basically say, okay, you're on your own. And now, when I turned 18, the, the, the laws are different now. Okay. When I turned 18, the federal government had a law that all Young men turned 18 had to register for the draft and serve an eight-year obligation, either in active duty or active reserve or inactive reserve. I served all of mine. They don't have that law anymore. They don't even draft anymore. Right. But when, when I turned out 18, they sort of surprised me. I didn't know what was going to take place. When I finished high school, I meant to go to college, and I had to deposit down for a room. I was going to get a 
job, working nights and going to school in daytime. I almost made it. But shortly before I was 18, I was notified. When I turned 18, I'd be out on my own. And when I turned 18 and graduated from high school, I walked outside on the driveway with my diploma in my hand and just stood there and thought, I don't belong to nothing anymore. I'm not part of the family. I'm not part of a company. I'm not part of a group or nothing. That's all I got. I got to get out and do something. It was a happy day and and worrisome time. I can't even imagine how lonely you must have felt. It was. But it didn't last long because I had to get up and do something right now. So what did you do? I've got a job at uh, Avco Corporation, which was building airplanes. And that's where I was going to work nighttimes because they had three shifts. But I worked there for about two months, and the Korean War ended. So they laid me off. We were building airplanes for them, and they wanted to make that contract last a long time. Right. So they didn't need all the help and didn't have to make them so quick. So then I got a job at the Robert Orr Company, typing invoices. And that lasted for, oh, two years before we went to computer type operation. And then that lasted another two years. And then the Army got me. Oh, they finally got you. Yeah, well, they were going to get me. I was classified 1A. But I went to find out what they had going on, and they lied to me, and I volunteered. Uh. I found out after I volunteered that I didn't have to serve three years. They was offering the same deal to draftees when I got in the Army, and they lied to me two or three times. It's all in my book. But the worst, worst thing that happened to us, I had a younger brother and a younger sister in foster care. And he was two years behind me, and when uh, he was aged out at 18, he also told us, now both of you boys are out and working. Your sister is now your responsibility. So she was aged out, too. Wow. And we had to send the money to Miss Bright to take care of her. And being in the Army, we got $80 a month, so we sent $40 a piece back to take care of her. So we lived on $40 a month while in the Army for a few years. Wow. Did you ever find out what happened to your parents? Oh, yeah. My my mother remarried and had another child, and and, uh, both of her parents died. Two, two stepfathers, and she lived with her, her her daughter until she died. And that's another thing that bothers me. She had Alzheimer's. Oh. And she would visit with me and sat on the couch and talk to me and not know who I was. Oh, I'm sorry. How old was she? She was 79. My father was blind all his life, 
uh, he worked at, at a state place where they made brooms and mops until he retired. And he died at uh, 63, I think. Oh, my goodness. We we saw him once in a while, but not very often. And I think I wished I knew better. He was the only dentist person I ever knew. He had a brother, but I never didn't know what his name was. All I learned, he lived in Springfield. And we would visit ever so often. After you got out of the service... I went back to Robert Orr. That was a privately owned company at that time and uh, there was four owners and they pretty well liked me so they used me and give me opportunities uh, it's also in my book the fellow that hired me john cunningham was executive vice president and he he told people in my presence his friends he said, the best day's work I ever did at Robert Orr was to hire Robert Dennis. And I think he believed that. I think he did, too. <laughs> so how long did you stay there? Forty-seven years. Yes, it later became, in 1972, was merged into Cisco Corporation. Oh. Along with uh, nine other individually owned companies. That's about the time all the restaurant business got into together in groups. Right. And, and had different locations in different places, but they didn't know how to get the groceries. Right. So the grocery company started solving that problem, and they had uh, locations, the same places that the restaurants had locations. It made life easy for both of them. Now, Cisco's the biggest service wholesale food service wholesaler in the world. They even in foreign countries now. So you you basically moved up through this company. And and thank goodness they send me money every month. I'm retired. <laughs> Did you ever get married and have a family of your own? Well, I I didn't think I was. I got turned down three times. That's in the book. But I did, finally. I met the woman who was my wife when I was on leave from the Army on the way to Europe. I had a friend that carried me up to her father's farm to go rabbit hunting. And she was in the kitchen working. And they introduced me, and we got socially involved together and and wrote letters back and forth to Germany to Mount Julian. When I come back home, I met up with her, and we fell in love and got married. And we've been married 62 years. Yeah, good for you. She's 63 in February. Nice. But one thing that we did, we made plans before our marriage or our life. We both agreed that if and when we ever had any children, she'd stay home and take care of the children as long as I could bring enough money home to pay the bills. She never had to go back to work. How many kids did you have? I have three daughters. Good for you, Robert. I'm talking to folks when I tell them. We all have 
initials after our names, which makes us important people. My oldest daughter was a registered nurse for 30-odd years. My middle daughter is a chief financial officer and vice president of the company where she works. My youngest daughter went to school and wound up with a degree in some kind of law and was recruited by the big bank Nashville to stay there for a year or two. And they had her in uh, the law department working for all the people that owed them money. They had to bankrupt them, and she felt like she was doing them harm, taking away from them the last things they had. So she left there. Went back to school again, and she's an occupational therapist. Oh, wonderful. And I was vice president, so I got a BP after <laughs> <laughs> My wife has the most, most significant initials, Mama. And they all lived within business uh, difference. We used to have, we normally have a lunch together every Saturday. And if one of them got a problem, we help solve it. If they got something they need, we help with that. I tell folks we're weird. We talk to each other. Yeah, that is weird. Who talks anymore? That's beautiful. Robert, I have to ask you, a lot of kids in your position, it would have just been easier to get into drugs or alcohol and give up and feel like nobody loved you. What gave you the strength to move forward? My father was not only blind, he was an alcoholic. And I've seen things like that happen, and I don't like that. I have a, a deep feeling for people, especially kids, who have problems through no fault of their own. Have you seen my book? It says I'm a, from a foster kid to a millionaire. I work with people who were financially good at what they were doing and I learned a lot I don't have a lot of money but I have a lot of assets money depreciates assets increase right you're also a songwriter when did you become a songwriter oh that's what I was going to tell you yeah uh, I started writing songs from my memories after I retired and I have strong feelings for these children and these people who have particularly health problems through no fault of their own. And uh, someday uh, I hope to have uh, uh, some songs out there with the the rights for writing them, half of it going to different organizations that research and care for different groups of people. Like my mother had Alzheimer's. My father was blind. Uh, another sister died with uh, cancer. Mm. My brother died with ALS, ALS. Lou Gehrig's disease? Yeah, mm. that's what he had. Yeah, that's terrible. It is. Spent the first year uh, every night having him get into bed mm. and doing what it takes. It's just terrible. Yeah. He knows what's going on, but he can't move. Right, right, right. I've been successful in every area of my life, except I can't get the music folks to talk to me. I've got over 500 songs. I just need 
Aww. some music put to my lyrics because I don't know music. I need a music writer and become a co-writer. We could put out a lot of songs in a short period of time. And my own opinion is that a lot of them are very good. And hopefully someday, I, I ain't giving up, I'm still searching for a musician and a publisher. And I'm in a good position because I don't need their their money. I can wait for the the money that comes from singing and publishing the song. So I wouldn't even be on their payroll. <laughs> I'd just work for them. I wouldn't be on the payroll. But you have a wonderful story, Robert, a, re- a story of real hope. Well, my objective was to reach a certain group of people in our society, which was foster kids in existence. There ought to be a million of them out there. Then there ought to be another million like me that's been aged out. And they ought to have two million with the parents out there. Yeah. So there ought to be a big section of book buyers that would be interested in how you got where you are. Absolutely. Does this foster care where you grew up, that center, does it still exist? Yes. Did you send them a copy of your book? I called the one that sets up the children with the families and offered them a book. And I also offered them two posters to hang in their office to show them foster kids are in good company with the most famous foster kids that ever existed. And you can't guess who they are. The first one's name is Moses. You've heard of him. Yeah, I have definitely heard of Moses. And the other one, his name is Samuel. Both of them got books. (laughs) Moses wrote five books. Samuel wrote two books. Correct. (laughs) And it says right there about Moses, his is straightened out. It says when Moses grew up, he was known as the daughter of Pharaoh's daughter. (laughs) And Samuel's mother gave him back. And I had them posted. I bought them. And the pictures that displayed, and I figured... That foster kid go out of that office up there and look and see those two men who were famous and popular. And they were, you know, we in good company. But the men turned me down. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take my book. He wouldn't take my posters. Why? Because of the religious implications? I don't know. So then there is a school in Nashville that handles foster kids. That's all they got on there. And uh, we used to sell them groceries. And I'd call them, and I can't get nobody over there to talk to me. Oh, I'd Robert. give them a book. Since this fellow turned me down, I'd give them the book and the posters. Robert, your book should be in every foster care center in America. It should. Maybe you need somebody to make some phone calls on your behalf. I thought maybe they'd, somebody would invite me to come talk to the whole group of kids. And I would try to change their change their attitude toward life. Right. I mean, you're proof it's possible to turn your life around. They got to have determination first. Yeah. And maybe to get that, they got to have inspiration. That's what I was hoping. Yeah. They would do instead of 
I considered. I, I did send a book to our senator, United States senator. She always sends me a letter. She wants some more money. And I sent her this book and wrote her a letter and sent her more money and told her, I send this book to you to let you know that at least one of the government's uh, welfare programs has been successful. Right. During that time, I was a liability. I, I was taking money. Of it. it would have cost the government money to keep me up as long as I was a foster kid. Right. But since then, I've been an asset, which helps our society. Well, you know what, Robert? Why don't you talk to your girls? They should be able to help you do this. Maybe one of your girls should take this on as a project, you know, calling some of these centers and maybe the foster center where you were. Maybe they don't remember you. Oh. You know, maybe they don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. I, well, I, I don't know that they would be recognized as much as I would. Well, I'm just saying they could reach out on your behalf and say, hey, I'm calling for my dad. He was in foster care with, you, you know, I would start with where you were in foster care. That may be an idea I hadn't thought of. Yeah, let, have one of your daughters call and say, hey, the, my dad, he was in foster care there, and uh, I'm his daughter, and uh, we had a pretty good life, and he wants to inspire others. Seriously, don't, don't, don't give up, because you've got a great story. Don't give up. Oh, I ain't going to give up. All right. I just ain't got, just ain't got enough time left. You don't know how much time you have left. You may have more than you know. I did. <laughs> uh, Robert, what a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. You didn't record all this, did you? Yes, I did. Every oh, word. you did. So now you'll have an interview. You've got a lot of information out there that they may not care about. I think they will care about it. Oh. But yeah. I'm going to keep that story intact. It's a really good story. Uh, when I was working... Uh, our president didn't like to do, and every time we'd get somebody want to interview something about the food business, he'd put it off on me. So I, I had been on the TV several times and on the radio several times, when, and, and a lot of folks that we did business with would cause me, particularly government organizations, who had to make up a food budget for the coming year would call me and get my opinion on how much they should increase their budget on the cost of food coming up. Or he would put me on whatever it was, radio and television. And sometimes they put the wrong answer to the wrong question. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that. They, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> They always edited when I watched it. Yeah. Well, I thank you, ma'am. You are so welcome. If you ever need anything else, holler at me. All right. Me. It was a pleasure talking to you, Robert. You have a great day. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I like to talk to people. Yeah, I can tell. Don't understand them. But I think you do pretty well.
But I thank you very much. You got it. We have another writer from Tennessee. Kayla Ross is a high school senior. She's been writing since the fifth grade, and she's published her first book already. It's entitled Visions of My Heart. Now, that's a big decision for a young woman. You must have had some encouragement. Um, My auntie influenced me to publish a book because she saw um, a special talent in me, which I did not see in myself at first. Because I guess sometimes you just need a little push and a little bit of, um, you know, influence to really get yourself out there and step out, you know, in faith. That's great. Well, good for you. Takes a lot of guts. Thank you. So what's your book about? Um, so my book is about um, a young girl's heart through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's also a story of relationships that I've had that I have experienced and as well as visions and dreams that I have received. And basically what I did was took a deeper look into methods and experiences of my life to inspire generations. Okay. So is it a story or is it a book of poetry? It's a book of poetry. Um, it's um, basically I took different stories through poems, like different um, relationships. So basically I made just like, um, a series of stories through poems. So it's like a short story type of twist with poetry. You you've you've had visions. Yes, ma'am. What what do you mean by that? When I say I have visions, it's been like so you know like um when I you know sometimes when you have a desire for something, you have a dream about it, like a vision about it. And so when I had like a desire to, I guess, you know, um, be on stage because, you know, I love to dance and I could see myself in front of a crowd of, you know, a million people. That's like a vision of me of where I want to go, like my destiny, my purpose. So when I said I have like visions, visions of my heart, which is stories that God has given me which opened me up to um, different platforms. You know what I'm saying? Like different platforms. And so that's really what I mean about visions. It's basically, it could be anything from, you know, um, seeing yourself in the future with a family or um, a relationship that you're going through, like with your mom or something like that, that God is trying to teach you something through it or show you a possible um, future through it. So that's what I mean by visions. It's like a future reference. Give me an example of that. So, yes, in my book, um, there's a story about um, a vision that I have between me and my um, father. And basically, I saw him like on this, we were in this, it was kind of like an aquarium type thing. I know it was like a flash of light. and we were on this water looking at animals, like aquatic animals. And all of a sudden, the bridge that we were on in the ocean just broke. And we fell in the ocean. And when we fell in the ocean, I had called, um, I said, Jesus, right? I screamed Jesus. And then out of nowhere, this lightning just struck the ocean. And I pulled my father's hand um, out of the water. Because um, animals, the sea creatures, were biting off of his flesh. And 
the whole point of the story was that my prayers were the only thing keeping him alive. Whoa. So it was like a, yeah. Woo. Yeah. How did that relate in real life to your relationship with your dad? Um, It related in real life because I think with anybody that you um, value, but y'all, Y'all don't have the necessary, um, I guess in a way, the the relationship isn't where it needs to be. And you find yourself praying and praying to God, say, Lord, I need, I need your help with, with this person. And it related to me in real life because I went through a series of struggles with my father like any other child does, right? And, well, if they have that type of relationship with their father. And I went through a series of struggles with him where I found that me praying for him kept my love for him. It allowed me not to hate him for what he did in the past and just continue to be able to walk in love with him. Because sometimes we hold people to a higher standard when they don't even see themselves at that standard. Kayla, you are wise beyond your years. Thank you. Thank you. That is so true. I mean, that is so true. He's only human, right? Yes. Yes. Do you want to read one of your poems to me? Yes, ma'am. I would love you to. You got a favorite? Give me the backstory. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of oh, one of my, I love all of them personally, but I think my most favorite is The Little Lost Girl. In my book, because the story behind it was, how was I able to tell a story where thousands of young girls could relate to it? And I wanted young girls to be able to see their selves in this poem. And in a way, it was me, but I took a different concept of it. Because a lot of us been, you know, abused, rejected, neglected by any by a series of people in our lives. It could have been your father, your boyfriend, you know, just anybody. And I want them to see that, okay, even though I've been broken into millions of pieces, how can I use that brokenness to become my strength? Where the purpose, God's purpose is greater than my history. It's all about my destiny, where I'm going. Yeah, so um, the, the poem goes like this. Girl born into sin with a mother thick and thin, thin line between love and hate when her father is awake. She opens her eyes to an earthquake, takes her first breath. She hides between doom and shame. Parents let their child be doomed to their fate. At five, she cried, sorrow awakes. At 10, she is raped from love. She lost faith. Little does she know love can be great. At 14, she is lost. Her father was her lost protector. Her family was her lost shield. She grew up poor. 18, was grown, 18, she was grown, poor, busted, and disgusted. What did she feel as her soul escaped? She found truth at 20. A little lost girl was her foundation. She looks up at the sky. She looks down at the ground to kneel to say, demons exist. She looks up and screams, why? Walks down a road and a little boy says, my little sister, Jesus will fight. She takes four steps, one to let go, two to forgive her enemies, 
three to forgive herself, four to run and meet Jesus at the light. She found the light that shines so bright, a fire that burned her from the inside. Cleanse her heart and make it white. Again, Jesus held her hand. Wow. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Is that your story? Um, yes, ma'am. In a way, in a way it is. Um, I took a deeper um look into it to how could I make um, it more broad where other people can relate to it. Make it more relatable. Yeah, make it more relatable. And so, yeah, that, that was me. In a way, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like everybody goes through depression of some sort. And we find ourselves in this space where we feel like nobody sees us. Yeah. That we're not important. That we're not necessar- necessary to the society that we live in. That we weren't born from the born for the time that we live in, right? So I just wrote my feelings and I put it in a way where, like you said, most people could relate to it. And I think I s- explained it in such a profound way because I used illustrations of people. Because sometimes the people in our lives um, create the most, they have the most value in our lives. Because they determine how we see ourselves. So true. So, are there any open mics near you? Um, yes, ma'am. There, there are open mics where I can read my poetry. Yes, ma'am. I have um did a couple of book signs. I'm looking to do it in the um future. Like I'm going to go to a couple of middle schools and speak because I love to speak to the children. You know, to help them see that you know. There's a journey and a path for everybody. If I can do it, you can do it too. So, so you're get you you think you're going to be able to get into some schools? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's great, and you're going to keep writing, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. How good did it feel to get that book in the mail, huh? It felt it felt really great. Um, it was a feeling of excitement and gratitude. Oh. Um, I was grateful for the process. But there was the promise laying in my hands. So when I saw that, okay, I I don't just worship the process, but here it is, the promise, the purpose. This all that sacrifice was for this. And I was holding it in my hands. So it was very it was it was a feeling of gratitude and excitement. Well, Kayla, it was so nice talking to you. You're an amazing, you're an amazing young woman. I wish you all the luck in the world. I really do. You, I, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Same to you. A teacher and public school administrator for more than three decades, Mary Livingston knows a thing or two about kids, and writing's always been part of her life. Add in a couple of grandkids, and you'll understand why she wrote. Do all clouds look like dogs? So, when did your writing life begin? I loved writing ever since fourth grade. The teacher I had, and this was way back, you know, in the 60s, he was an author and he loved poetry. We had to memorize a lot of poetry. We wrote a lot of stories. Uh, He read the Laura Ingalls series to us every Friday. And I was so happy when he would read aloud to us and we got to put our thoughts down. And so I've always enjoyed it, and in high school, I was on the newspaper staff, and I took a job uh, uh, in a publishing company before I even graduated, and so I did a lot of proofing there and had to do 
some correcting as well. And then I decided that my calling was really teaching. So one of my classes was uh, children's literature. And our final project, we could write a book or do any number of things. So I wrote a children's book and I always wanted to get it published. But, you know, then life happened and kids and a mortgage and bills. And so I just was never able to pursue it. And I just thought now's kind of my time. And then I had grandkids. We enjoy being outside and I just kind of. Enjoy looking at clouds and, you know, seeing what's out there. And I just kind of combine my grandkids with that idea and it just evolved. Do you, do you know, as you're talking, I'm remembering when my kids were little and we used to lay on the front lawn and watch the clouds. And, uh, you know, that one looks like a dinosaur and that one looks like a cat, you know. It's just fun. It is. So, so what's your book about? Uh, it's called, Do All Clouds Look Like Dogs? And it centers around my grandsons who love to be outside and they love baseball. And so it's about the two of them being outside uh, and just a pickup little baseball game. And the younger one is trying to catch a ball and the sun is in his eyes and he missed the ball. And the big brother asked, why did you miss that? And he said, well, the sun was in my eyes. And as he was pointing to show his brother, he saw a cloud that looked like a dog. And so he keeps looking around and he keeps seeing shapes that could be a dog. And so he asked his brother, do all clouds look like dogs? (laughs) And of course, the brother had to laugh about it, you know, and so then they they started studying the clouds every day they would be outside. And the older one started to journal about them. And he explained to the little brother how clouds are formed. And so the theme of the book is they just spend a lot of time looking together and discussing and telling their parents and journaling. And Then in the end, they decided the best thing about doing that was just the time that they had together. So it's just one of those little happy ending stories. That's sweet, Mary. That is nice. Well, I'm assuming your grandchildren have read the book, right? Oh, yeah. uh, The younger one who is seven now, he was kind of my critic. But this was after it was published because (laughs) he would look at the pictures, you know, and and tell me how it think how he thinks it could have been different. Or at one point he said, I didn't really say that. And I said, no, Reed, you didn't say it. It's, this is imaginary. I just imagined you and Landon were having a conversation. Well, then it was, it was better than he, he could let it go then. But uh, <laughs> yeah. He was taking it literally. <laughs> I didn't really say that. Since you're a former administrator, are are, are you able to go into the schools and read the book? Well, just today I got a text from a friend who bought the book for her four grandkids. And she said, my grandkids want to meet the author. Will you come to my house and take a picture? So <laughs> I, I had some teacher friends who bought for their classrooms. And uh, 
they've asked if I will come to the classroom and read the book. Uh, my former district where I was principal, the superintendent bought a copy to put in the library. And so I ordered a hundred copies just for myself and I've sold every one of them. So I don't know how it's doing on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. I'm not getting royalties yet. So I guess it hasn't exactly taken off, but I'm hoping that'll happen. Well, you know what? You really can't get into the schools until what, the fall? Yeah. Yeah. Toward the end of August. Yeah. I shared it on my, on my Facebook page. It was just with friends. So that wasn't really my point. My point was just, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. So I'm just going to do it, you know, regardless of what the, the money looks like, I'm going to do it. So I joke that my husband spends his retirement money on hunting trips. So I'm going to publish a book. So that was just kind of my, my little personal goal. <laughs> Good for you, Mary. Good for you. So I, I guess that means you're going to keep writing. Well, maybe. I have a, a couple more ideas, but uh, I have a friend who is a book collector and he has all kinds of background in with books, history, you know, he just, he wants to buy a copy of just about everything. And so he told me that he added me to his collection and he said, please don't keep this to yourself. You need to give us more books. So oh. it's like, well, maybe. Well, Mary, I don't know what, what more encouragement do you need than that? That's pretty good. It was, it was, it was a high compliment coming from him. I, and, uh, We'll just see, you know. Yeah, one step at a time. Well, congratulations. How did it feel when you got that book in the mail? Oh, it was exciting. I knew I knew they were coming and we were actually gone. Uh, our, our grandkids live in Pennsylvania. So we were there when they came here. And uh, I could tell on my camera they'd been delivered. So I had to call my sister and say, go get my books in the house. I don't want them left on the porch. <laughs> so I was, I was anxious to get back to Missouri to, to see my books. It was almost surreal. Any advice for our authors who are listening, our potential authors who are listening, who might need a little nudge to get that first book out there? Just have to take the lead. You know, I submitted the storyline and, uh, it was accepted immediately. The process was a little longer than I expected, but I just quit thinking about that part of it and gave it to God. And, you know, here we are. So all things work out for my good. Great. Mary, I'm so glad we got to talk today. Well, I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.